and I hope that that message can help some of you out there, no matter where you fall in terms of your feelings about the Final Fantasy VII Remake project and this particular game, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. No matter where you fall in your opinion on whether this is a disgrace to the original game and undermining all of its important themes and whether that's how you feel or whether you feel, no, this is a really groundbreaking, fresh take on this uh, set of characters and world that I loved growing up. And I, I really like feeling excited about not knowing that some things might be different and and being able to theorize that with my particular in-group who we, that's why we appreciate this art that, that we gathered around, that this is the thing that we appreciated about it. No matter where you fall there, you don't have to get involved in the toxicity. You don't have to escalate it to a point where it does some real damage to real people. There is a vote happening right now on our Patreon for the game that we will play after Planescape Torment. That vote will only be live of the time of the upload of this video for like one more day, maybe two, because we will need to start playing the next game this weekend <laughs> uh, and preparing for it because we're done with Planescape now. We're moving on to the next thing so that we can be ready for the next series. So um, we, are, we are doing a vote between Xenosaga 2 and three, back to back. So that's option one, finishing the Xenosaga series. Or Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3. Those are the two options up on Patreon. If you, if you would like to vote, please head to our Patreon and at the $5 subscription level, you can, um, you get like voting privileges in, in terms of deciding what we play. Well, Kaysen, our original target date for Planescape Torment was February 22nd, which I think is today. Um, we're pushing that back one more week. Yeah. We need one more week to prepare for that. So unfortunately for us, we have to find a way to stretch this out one more time. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do that. We have to figure out some way to find a something to talk about for one more hour or ish <laughs> to give well, content to these people. <laughs> there is a game coming out soon. Uh, well, there's a lot of big games one. coming out soon. Which one do you think about? Oh, there's a game coming out soon. That's, I think it's coming out really soon. It's getting some super good reviews. Like what do you, what is coming out soon? Do you know, are you aware? <sighs> You're talking about RPGs or what are you talking about? Uh, it's mostly an RPG. Um, Unicorn Overlord, that's um, March no. 8th, I think, is a couple weeks. I'm going to play that. It's a new demo, actually. It looks really good. I don't know. I think it literally ever... comes out tomorrow, after this goes live. Oh. Wait Any a idea? minute. I'm, uh, I know Dragon Dogma 2, but that's like the end of March. I, uh, <laughs> what comes out at the end of February... Big RPG. Yeah, it might be the first day of March. A lot of people talking I, about it. It's uh, Final Fantasy something or other. Final Fantasy. Ugh. Yeah, Final Fantasy. Not 17. It's Final Fantasy. There's a seven. Actually, I don't remember what there's it's a seven. There's a seven in there somewhere. 
It's seven retrograde. Rebirth. <laughs> Did that one already come out? Rebirth. It's rebirth. Yeah. Coming out. Yeah. So you talking about that game? I didn't want to. <laughs> if you insist, <laughs> I guess we will. <laughs> I gotta take a sip of water for you. Oh, the reviews that. are rolling in. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> I don't even want to start talking about this. Final Fantasy VII Remake came out in 2020. It was four years ago. And we did it. Well, I don't think you were on it because you haven't actually played Final Fantasy VII Remake yet. Oh, no, but I still haven't. our channel had not this one, the archive channel, which we were uploading to at the time, had uh, two podcast episodes dedicated to talking about that game. They were both very, very, very freaking long, had guests. And um, unfortunately, I would say that the reputation, well, at least mine, you weren't on them, so it's not you. (laughs) (laughs) My reputation as a final fantasy fan a channel that creates final fantasy content uh legitimately took uh, quite a hit from from those two videos at the time so um i've said basically everything about that game that i think is required for me to say like to to talk any more about like the actual project itself would just be belaboring points that at this point I feel are totally pointless to make. I've, I've come to a conclusion that I'm personally not interested in this project. So why would it be an effective use of time <laughs> to engage with the thing that I'm not interested in? However, however, there is one topic in the field that sort of orbits the Final Fantasy VII Remake project, this trilogy of games that they're doing. That is something that I am very interested in talking about soon. Uh, and it is the reason why that reputation that maybe I once had took the hit that it did. <laughs> why was it that my opinion on that game created a divide that made us for a while have to take a bit of a hiatus from our podcast we we were we went i think it was like four months that we didn't make any shows at all yeah Um, yeah i remember that yeah because it wasn't just that it was also some of our thoughts on other rpgs that were coming out like the remake of um xenoblade chronicles and things like that um and this is, it isn't even just this topic that I want to talk about isn't even just related to video games. It relates to just human nature. And that's why it's an interesting topic to me. Um, trying to understand why people get so uh, what's the right word for this? Because I want to be like fair. And, and not try to make any, because it, it's all about social sorting. Let's just start there. <laughs> sure. I want to talk about social sorting, which is a, a sort of like branch of tribalism, right? Um, right? And the fact that at the kind of current point in time, I think we're seeing this happening to a degree that 
is sort of unprecedented for the human race because of the internet and social media. And this is also sort of a riff off of a lot of stuff we talked about in last week's episode. Um, yes. Cause we were talking about the internet and the way that that's changed gaming culture and all these sorts yep. of things. And a lot of people really enjoyed that conversation. I was really happy with a lot of the responses we were getting on that video. Um, people were, you know, really interested in hearing more about that. So this is going to be more about how has, because when we were going up, I think every person I have met in real life, like I, uh, that I have met in person, talked to face to face about the game mm -hmm. Final Fantasy VII, basically agrees with everything that I think about this remake project. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's this whole other sort of like set of people on the internet that I was so surprised to find out were vehemently disagreeing with me on those points. And I've had four years now to think that over, to see my views challenged um, with a, a high degree of vehemence. <laughs> uh, yeah. A lot of people didn't want to engage with our content anymore who once liked us. Again, not you, it was me because you haven't even played the game. And <laughs> you still want to, from what I understand. I do. I want to play it when I'm back in Japanese, and I want to play the whole game in Japanese. That'll be fun. Yeah. So, you know, we there may be in the future some possible content based around the remake project. It's just that I probably won't contribute much to that. It would kind of be a case in the thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, I, I've, I think since then from like 2020 to now i mean it started a little bit before then my sort of like real um intense observation of social discourse like the way that people engage with each other about disagreements online um it, it's gotten to a level that concerns me so much <laughs> that like uh i i really really feel well, I don't want to say scared or, or or nervous in the sense that like I'm afraid of some oncoming like civil war or anything like these things happen. It's not like I'm sitting here terrified about that. That's uh, it happens. But what I what I think my mind has been trying to wrap itself around is why is this happening? I don't remember it being this way before. There, there was like a certain point and there was a hinge point, I feel like. And, and we got into this a little bit last week, but it, it was it was social media in particular that has sort of like right, been yeah. this force multiplier to a degree that's just like blowing up at, a, at like an ever increasing rate all the time. And it's not even just for politics or, you know, social issues or the things that are really, really important in life. <laughs> It's for, like, the console wars that we participated on in as kids, the way that we talked yeah. about it then versus the way I see people talking about it now. And uh, sports teams, um, rivalries, things like that. I remember the way I used to see that engaged when I was growing up versus the way I see people doing that online now. Um and, and Final Fantasy VII Remake falls into a similar category where you see these 
incredible divisions in the fan base. People fighting and and legitimate death threats and like real, real nasty discourse that is just like toxic as it gets. Uh, people doxing each other online. Um, it, it's it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Um, that that all stems from this thing that I loved <laughs> when I was a kid right. so much, and so I think what I'd rather focus on is as this game is coming out and that sort of discourse is sure to begin in the coming days here. Um, what can we do to step back for a second and not contribute to that kind of toxic discourse? What can we do just in our little sphere of influence to sort of contribute positively to that discourse if we're going to participate in it at all? So that's kind of where I want to go with this. Um, I want to pass it to you for a second and maybe get some of your thoughts. I don't even know if you've seen what I've seen. And so this may kind of be out oh, a little bit out of your I wheelhouse. <laughs> so as in regards I, to that. I haven't. Um, yeah. I've just, I've heard uh, like the game, yeah, it's getting good reviews. Everyone's saying, Hey, if you didn't like the first remake, like you have to try this one. Apparently it's going to be a lot more useful and a lot better. Something like that. Um, I haven't seen any of what you're talking about other than, don't really follow video game stuff anymore. Yes. <laughs> so I just haven't seen it really at all. Um, well, I see it elsewhere, though, as you pointed out. I think that actually leads into a really good launching point for this discussion, which is um, it's kind of been the prevailing idea in the last maybe decade or so that the Internet and social media has sort of created these bubbles in which people live that algorithms track the things that you like and click on and that in doing so feed you more of those things that you like and click on and in doing no, it does do that yeah it, it does but let me let me kind of come full circle on this so the idea was that the algorithms are putting us all into these echo chambers and that because of this we are hearing more and more and more or being reaffirmed all the time, the things we believe, and that that is sort of radicalizing people. That thought has been challenged by more recent studies, which are saying, yes, the algorithms feed you more things you like, but it's not what you like necessarily. It's what you click on and engage with. And unfortunately, uh -huh. we do a lot more clicking and engaging on things that we disagree yes. on or that are threatening to us or scary or that yeah. that um, are opposed to our worldview because those things feel threatening to us. And then you see more of that. Yes. Because so you engage with it. What's actually happening is not that we're falling into these bubbles online, but that the bubbles that we exist in in our real lives, which I'll get to in a second, are being poked and prodded at constantly when you're online because you're engaging a lot. Of course you engage with a lot of things you like, but you're also seeing a lot of things that go, Oh no, what's that? And that's especially the way media works, right? Like news. They're constantly bombarding you with like 
bad news uh, headlines that make you go, oh my gosh, what's happening? And that this is actually what is sort of creating this incredible division between people and the reason why our public discourse has become so poisonous. Because we are feeling almost constantly threatened and attacked all the time as we use our phones throughout the day. And that in your real life, where you have a much smaller and isolated community, whether this is your family, your uh, small social groups you belong to, your church, whatever it is, in that community, which is much, much smaller, you're surrounded by people who are much more like-minded to you. And that that social bubble is being poked and prodded at when you're on the internet all the time. I thought that was fascinating. And it sort of flips the table a little bit on what I thought was the cause of the problem. Because this is something, I mean, we've had, I don't know how many games we've covered now on the podcast, but it comes up fairly frequently. Um, and we've talked about it a yeah. lot in a lot of different podcasts. This, I, this sort of tribalistic um, tendency that is bred into us. It's, it's part of our DNA. It's part of our nature. It's instinctual, right? People, in order to survive, you know, we're talking about tens, hundreds of thousands of years ago, relied on the cooperation of their small tribes to survive. Being isolated was the most dangerous thing. So your, your best chance for survival was to get a part of a strong group, a strong local group, that and, and, cooperate, and, and, and cooperate with those people. And if you did that the best, the team that did that best won. They survived longer, right? So it's, it's literally bred into us to seek out tribes. This is a part, it's just a part of human nature. We, we can't help it. Our DNA makes us do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, as we left the small tribes and villages and kind of came into larger civilizations, you know, cities, things like that, you start to have, again, it's, it's still a fairly isolated thing. I, I think a lot of people didn't necessarily travel beyond the small kingdoms and, and territories they belong to, you know, uh, cities they were born in, things like that. So you still had a fairly isolated group of people, but they was much larger. So you would have a little bit more diversity of thought, people challenging what you think. And that's healthy. That's actually something that came up on a recent podcast as well. I think it was during Tactics Ogre, right? People were like, well, conflict, not all conflict is bad. And we we're like, yes, yes, that's true. Like, you actually need conflict. A, a, a healthy amount of conflict is good because you can't just have your own viewpoint validated all the time. There's no growth that way. Uh, you, you need to be challenged. You need to feel like you need to evolve or adapt to changing circumstances in order for your local group, tribe, whatever, to continue thriving and growing and succeeding. So there needs to be a certain amount of healthy conflict, but there's also a certain amount of social glue that is required to keep those dissenting opinions together and, and unified in a way that, that kind of creates an equilibrium between those things and the people can continue to grow and thrive. However, with the internet, and not necessarily the early internet, which 
which is what they're saying more closely resembled that kind of larger but still isolated community, right? That the internet was highly fractured early on with just thousands of forums and places where you could go and talk to people. And so it was still fairly successful at giving you the opportunity to meet people you wouldn't otherwise and have your ideas challenged while still keeping you contained in this little group that more or less still had a social glue, a thing to which we were congregating around that unified us, that topic, that thing that you were interested in. Let's call it a Final Fantasy VII forum. (laughs) Sure. Right? But then social media took all of those fractured, isolated communities and started bringing them all into one gigantic town square in which you were being constantly bombarded by lots of different groups with whom many of whom you would not agree and that this is the cause of this sort of rampant poisonous social discourse that we're having i found that's interesting because it's nuanced it's a little bit different uh take it's still similar it's still social media is like something of a poison um but it's more something like uh it's in a little bit of a different way than, than I think most people think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So when we have these gigantic places where all the people are now congregating from the small communities, right? You find YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatever else, these giant places now where I can come across a gaming community uh, maybe a Final Fantasy VII-centered sort of community that has a very different reason for appreciating that game than the one I, than the reasons that I had, right? So when I said earlier, every person yeah. I've met in real life, face-to-face, agrees with me on the things I think about Final Fantasy VII, there is a very good reason for that. That's because my brain sorted people I was meeting in real life and located, aha, there's the person who thinks like me. I'm going to be friends with that person. We have things in common. I like you. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't waste my time in real life over here arguing with this person who had a different of opinion than me. I just kind of went on with my day <laughs> and didn't think about it. So my brain socially sorted the people I encountered in real life. And, and created the bubble we're talking about in which I started to think, yeah, I know, I know what this game, the, the, the real value of this game or the, the real reasons why it's great. And everybody I know also agrees with me about that. But it's not because <laughs> everybody agrees with me about it. It's because my brain did this work that I wasn't really even conscious of to find the people who do agree with me on this. And we bonded because of that agreement on that central reason why we appreciated the game. But this was also happening for all these other people at totally different reasons for appreciating the game. Let's take two particular reasons that someone might appreciate Final Fantasy VII as good examples. I would say a lot of the people, well, you and me, for instance, Kason and I, and then the people who are in our Discord who, who, who came into our community are really centered on strong 
thematic underpinning? What is the core central theme of this game? What is it trying to say? What is the story really about at its core? That that had a message that spoke to me, that made me rethink things about my life, that made me ponder about the, the sacredness of life itself. You know, you also have other people, let's just say there, there was a very sort of minor dating simulation element <laughs> to this game mm. that most people know about if you've played the original, where depending right. on how you answer questions, there could be a different person who would end up on a little date with you in the gold saucer that resembled to some degree, minor degree, like dating simulation games of, of the time, right? Sort of like took a little piece of that genre and sort of like just incorporated it into this. And now you have people who really got into it for that reason. They love the relationship aspects. You know, uh, which girl did, does Cloud like? Which girl is he gonna end up with? Um, to be honest with you, um, now that I really think about it, I don't know if this is true for you, Case. It'd be interesting if it was, because we were playing this right into that age where we're coming into puberty and starting to get yeah. into girls and stuff, right? So the right. first time I played the game, I named Cloud Mike, and I named Eris uh. and Tifa the two girls I had a crush on at school. Oh, I kind of remember that. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Huh. I actually changed the names of the characters to people I know and sort of, okay, there's these two girls in the game. I like this girl at school. I'm going to name them those girls' names. So even I participated in that particular element of the game to some degree at the time. Ultimately, And then which one you go on a date with became kind of a big deal, I guess? Yes, totally. Right? So just from remembering the fact that even, even though what ended up being the prevailing reason why that game resonated with me as strongly as it did was not that, right? Any future playthrough I did, I just named the characters their actual names. I didn't try to right. role play in that sense the way that maybe I tried the first time. Um, I can see why certain people might have latched on to the other as being the reason why they liked the game as much as they did. And now you get this whole group of people who are growing up and finding within their own real life bubbles, people who also loved the game for that reason, right? And they start to think, yeah, everybody likes Final Fantasy VII because what's fun to talk about is what, what girl does Cloud end up with? Is it Eris? Is that the better pairing? Or is it Tifa? Is that the better pairing? And now we got Zach kind of thrown into this too, right? With like Crisis Core and things that came yes. out after that. And so now yeah. we've got the, it's the same thing that happened with, um, with Twilight where they, they came up with those teams, right? And they, they, they combined the name of the guy and the girl. Yeah. Uh, Pattinson. Sorry. What was the name of the yeah, character? Edward and Jacob. Jacob and Edward. Yeah. yeah. The, but what was, what was the team? You were like team this or that. And you, you. Jacob and Edward. You're team Jacob or team Edward. But they didn't combine it with the name of Bella or whatever. Okay. Maybe they didn't do it in that. Oh way. gosh. They probably did. I can't remember. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's what I was trying to remember. Cause what they do in final fantasy seven is they go Clareth. It's Bella and Edward. 
Right. They go Clareth, right, which is a combination of cloud and Oh my gosh, name. I've never heard this. Yes. Where, 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 where do you go on the internet? I've never heard this See, before. See, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is kind of my whole point. Clareth and because... then what would the other one be? Cleefa? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think. Really? <laughs> I think that's it. Oh, that's funny. But you also have Zach in there where it's like Zach Aerith, right? Anyway, yeah. the, the, the whole mm. point that I'm trying to make is that you never went to that particular town square where people are like literally at each other's throats and you're sitting here like, whoa, this is freaking crazy what's going on. You are probably at some other town square <laughs> uh, debating sure, some yeah. other topic elsewhere. And so when it, when it comes to this particular topic, you're sort of living in the bubble that, uh, uh, Mike's in my bubble and maybe my brother's in here and my other friend who's played this game is in here. And, and that's my final fantasy seven bubble. And this is what we, why, why we liked the game. <laughs> this is the reason the game's cool. Um, so what, what, you I'm, know what I do remember. I was around 16 or so, 17 maybe, and then the there were rumors of a Middle Earth online game yeah. that was going around at the time since like 2003, yeah. maybe. And uh, I remember I got very... I would get into debates about Final Fantasy. Or sorry, Lord of the Rings. Yes. Specifically Lord of the Rings. And the specific thing that I would fight the hardest on was whether or not Middle Earth Online should hear versus player combat. Or... <laughs> whether it should always be players fighting NPCs. Yeah. And I was hard on the PVP, I think, which I not anymore would be. <laughs> but um, so you, I got you into wanted it. people to stay fight up against other people. Forums. I would argue with specific people who disagreed with me, and I was ruthless. <laughs> <laughs> I want to touch I on cared. this, too. I never even played the game. When it came out, it was Lord of the Rings Online. <laughs> I never played once, ever. Yeah, that that's actually a really good point, too. You never actually played the game and yet you had an incredibly massive important passionate opinion about this game you never even played this is a great point because there's a lot of times where i question whether the people i'm talking to have actually played the game in question all the time (laughs) (laughs) or whether or not it's because this is this is kind of what i'm getting at it's not the game that's not what we're arguing about it is all about an inherent thing we do of social sorting. The reason we socially sort is because we want to put ourselves into a group that give us a sense of belonging, uh, a sense of um, friendship, love, whatever you want to call it, and creating a sense of identity through which you can express yourself. These are very important things to people. I need a place where I belong a place where I can feel I'm understood and loved and a place that I can, that I can take from that community and use as a badge to say something about myself, to identify with and use that to create an identity for myself with. That is what people are really fighting over. They, it's, it's masked under all these arguments about the merits of the game. But that's not actually what people are fighting about. They are fighting to defend their sense of identity and belonging from those who they believe are attacking that with their opinions about the game. 
So they don't want to be lonely. Yes. And this was happening with you for a game you hadn't even played for some reason. It was in development. Yeah. For some reason, this idea that a Lord of the Rings video game, your bubble about your opinions of the Lord of the Rings property included that if there's an online version of this, it must include PVP in order to be a part of the correct um, theology (laughs) (laughs) of what Lord of the Rings meant. Because that's, that's, I mean, that's all it is too. This is true of religion. It's true of politics. It's true of every community, every ideology, everything through which you sort yourself into. This is all about creating for yourself sense of identity, sense of belonging, sense of purpose. That's what you're really fighting for. Go ahead with what you're going to say. Right. Well, that creates uh, cohesion, though. It's uh, because and this is where you and I were talking a little bit before this came up about like what exactly maybe a solution to something like this could or ought to be. Um, But to some degree. um. Gosh, how do I put this? Um, like, you you can't avoid it. No. Like, this is how humans are. No. Humans need glue to hold each other together, and glue comes from having similar opinions. Yes. And yeah. as much as you can, um, or people in general can say, "Oh, it's a, it's, it's," I don't know. Can can be upset about the different things, like you mentioned, different things like your ideology, your religion, your personal opinion, your the way that you self sort. Um, you, you, it's really hard to just not self-sort. Uh, that's mm-hmm. how you end up alone with nothing. Um, and this is how humans work. Like humans do this. We find people that we can trust that are similar to us, that will behave in a similar way, that have our back if things go south. Um, we seek that out, whether it's online or in person. And then communities will tend to do this and things will start growing. And then you've got groups that are like, oh, we're going to ally with this group and what, whatever, you know, and it scales all the way up to basically all of humanity. Um, and you, you can't avoid it. Like it, it has to be there. And I wouldn't even say it's a bad thing. It's just, it can become toxic, I suppose, um, depending on how it's being used. It, um, it's but this, not, is, this is unavoidable. It's not a bad thing in the way in which it evolved to be useful, which is in smaller communities. It actually is what made humans thrive in smaller communities. Everything that you believe as a person was informed one way or the other by the local culture in which you were born. You cannot avoid that. You could call it indoctrination, that's probably true. What it what it's it, probably what it true, was. but I would say that it doesn't. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It doesn't. When right. humans lived in small communities, it has only become potentially a really bad thing when all of humanity is connected into one culture with so many diverse, fractured communities and cultures that they right shaped their sense of identity from coming into direct contest and clash with thousands, millions of others every single day of your life. Yeah. 
But I'm just saying that you can't have it any other way. If you want every human in the world to communicate with each other, this is this is the human brain. This is how humans are. Yes. So unfortunately, evolution works very, very, very slowly. <laughs> uh, yes. So <laughs> very. In order for us to succeed in the world that is developing very quickly around us, we need to be able to adapt to it. The problem is we're not going to be able to adapt fast enough to this particular thing. We cannot yeah. change the fact that we need to feel that social glue keeping us together and that that needs to come from rallying and uniting around a central set of ideological principles. But if we're all going to be connected, we're going to be surrounded by, again, thousands of communities who are in direct opposition to those ideological principles. So what do Always. we do? And I'm, here's the thing. <laughs> I don't know if I want to quite get into that topic yet. That's probably where we want to leave off at the end. Cause we may, Kaysen and I may even have differing views on how we, we actually tackle that problem. In fact, I'm sure Many, many people have differing views, and, th and that's kind of what the conversation needs to be about because it needs to be addressed. But what is the best answer? Um, it seems to me that we need a little bit more of a ramp, a gradient, a slow introduction oh, yeah. into what we're racing into right now. We're moving into yeah. it way too fast for our evolution to be able to <laughs> help us adapt to. So, you know, for us. one answer, and this, this comes from a video that uh, I saw recently, and I had Kaysen watch it before we uh, got on here and talked about it. I, I will link this video in the description and maybe in a pinned comment um, so that you guys can watch it, because I just, I found it really, really fascinating. But one idea is to kind of maybe step back from these social media monopolies and empires <laughs> where yeah. the big centralized websites yes where all of these people are you know coming in contact with each other all the time and fracture right. the internet's communities back into something more like it was at the beginning where which you can always do yourself yes that doesn't solve yeah the issue for everyone around you um and unfortunately the um corporate structures are such that uh, something like the network effect takes a place as soon as you get these communities, um, they slowly begin to just coalesce. And at some point, you end up with just a, a handful, ultimately one, if they play them naturally um, themselves. Um, but things will ultimately coalesce into one thing because that's where the advertise. That's where the money will go. The advertisers are like, "What? This platform has a hundred million users. Of course, I'm going to advertise there, not this little one with only like a thousand people." Yes. That, that's, that is the reason, and it's the reason why yeah, it would be why. almost impossible to, in any sort of way, to, like, actually break this up. So it's, it's while it might be ideally a, a good answer, I don't know if it's, like, actually effectively, even reasonably, a, a, an answer that would work, because how would you even go about doing that? How do you tell right, exactly. these giant corporations that have these mega social media platforms. Hey, break up 
your your social media platform. It's better for humanity to do that, right? Like that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's not how things work. So I don't even want to, outside of just like pitching that out there as an idea that that video sort of put forth that I, I thought, yeah, ideally, I think that that could, that could be a starting point. Again, and we talked about this recently too in our Tactics Ogre series, we individually cannot do anything to change the world really. I mean, there are some people who have more power than others. Maybe you have more influence than others. There's more you can do. But for the most part, the average person watching, there's not really much within your sphere of influence that you can do to change the world or to change this, this aspect of human nature. The only thing you can do is change yourself. And all you have to do is decide what to do with the time <laughs> that is given, given to you. you. <laughs> exactly right. So while you might not be able to reach into your DNA and manipulate the code and take this particular tribalism out of you, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe that's a, a potential more short-term answer now that we're getting closer on that. But I don't know if anyone agreed to that, so maybe it's not. But, um, uh, you know, <laughs> gene manipulation, that, that sort of thing. But that's where things will go. Like, there's no avoiding it. Yeah. But I don't like it. And, and, and I don't think That's anybody, a way to speed up evolution to catch up. Yeah, I don't think anybody does like no. that idea. But... Uh, but that doesn't matter. Nobody likes the idea of artificial intelligence, like, um, <laughs> you know, destroying the world and humanity coming to an end. Um, but that seems to be where we're heading. So. so, but what you can do is at least be aware of what's really going on in you, inside of you, when you get these strong feelings when you see these opposing views to what you believe as this game that launches tomorrow <laughs> is sure to incite. Instead of going, ooh, ooh, this person came out, I'm gonna put them into the enemy box that I'm sort socially sorting them into. These are the idiots who don't agree with me over here and I have to freaking fight them over this. Realize what's happening. Realize what's really happening. Take a step back from that. You have this sort of cognizant, uh, higher thinking part of your brain right here behind your freaking forehead <laughs> that you can use to go, hold on a second, emotional part back there. This actually isn't all that serious. This is not, this is not life or death the way that my ancestors <laughs> bred me to think about it. Um, I don't have to engage, or if I do engage, I don't have to treat it as if it is at that level of a threat. There's just, it's just not necessary to do. And if we can start there, we start with ourselves, right? And say, because it's going to happen. You're going to have a feeling that comes up. You're going to see somebody who says something and you're just going to feel like annoyed. You're going to feel angry. You're going to feel all those feelings. You don't have a choice in that, by the way. That's just going to happen to you. That's the part right. that we're saying you can't control about your human nature. But you can control as being, an, being aware of where that's really coming from, how you go about responding to that and not contributing to this continuing divide, this, this ever-growing gap between ourselves this uh, racing to far extremes of opinion uh, that, that in doing that leads to real, true evil acts. Because it's when, you're, it's when you're pushed 
to this extreme view over here that you begin justifying acts of violence or other things as being the right thing to do because those people are so evil or so stupid that it is necessary for me to fight them that way. That, that's what you're trying to avoid. You're trying to avoid your emotions becoming so boiled that it pushes you over there. And again, this doesn't, I'm obviously not, ex well, there really are legitimate death threats and doxing and like terrible stuff people do online to each other in arguments about this very game. So like, yeah, there's a lot of terrible things people do about that. But of course, I, I'm, I'm speaking kind of on broader terms with this. Um, we, we tend to really, in, in recent times, it, it's becoming easier and easier for people to look at their fellow humans and declare them as being willfully evil people because they have a different ideology than us. And in my experience, as somebody who has really, really tried and who has lots of friends in both extremes and a lot of places in between and loves this person over here on this extreme just as much as this person over here and can see all of the good qualities of those people, it's not... It's not what, it's, again, it's not the game <laughs> that we're fighting about, really. It's not yeah. the politics. It's not, it, that's not it. I don't think so, anyway. I think relating this to sports might be actually a <laughs> really, a really, really good way to simplify it into what, what I'm trying to get to. Which sports team that you support has almost nothing to do with anything other than where you were born most of the time. You didn't choose to like the sports team that your dad bought you baby clothes with the logo on it and raised you to like. <laughs> That's not how that works. <laughs> the religion no. that you were born into a lot of times, you know, dictates how you believe and see the world. Right. You grew right. up in a culture that informed all of that. And that, that's not to say that there are people that don't, I mean, a lot of people convert because what ends up happening is that in some other fractured way, in some other way that you found a sense of identity or belonging, all of a sudden the ideology you grew up believing in sort of starts poking at that bubble. And this one's a little bit more important to you. You feel a little bit more of your self-expression coming from this particular community. So you convert to that one. Right, so that can that still happens, but for a lot of people, it's all it's all about the circumstances into which you were born, how your parents taught you, what your local community believed, all of these things. The culture around you is what informed how you think. So you yes. were born in Philadelphia. You like the Eagles. Now, this is this has been a really interesting thing for me because I was born in Houston. So as a child, I loved the Rockets. I loved the Astros and I loved the Oilers. The Oilers don't even exist anymore. They're Tennessee Titans now. Oh, they went to, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but then I moved to Denver, Colorado. And I remember, oh, now I like the Nuggets and the Denver Broncos, especially because they won two Super Bowls while I was there. And the Diamondbacks, when we moved to the Arizona. Avalanche. Yeah, the Avalanche. And when we moved to Arizona, then it was the Diamondbacks and the Suns and um, 
they won. The Diamondbacks won World Series. Yeah, literally, like within the first year of living in Arizona, they did. But the more that I moved around, I feel like I got to this point where I started to see how silly that was. Right, like there is no like. Why do I like this team today? The way I watch sports is very different than the way I did as a kid. To me, it was all about the colors of the uniforms, the logo. And like th- those things, the, the image, the yeah. image of that branding yeah. was, it, and this was actually true. I think Landon told us about this several years ago when we were all still working together. Maybe you remember this, Kason, about the way that people revered tech brands in a very similar way. There was like studies of the brain that showed a very similar reaction to people who saw religious symbols, whether it be the cross or whatever religion you know, again the branding the symbol <laughs> it's the brand yeah. well, that's how brands determine their symbols it is sort of like a religious kind of thing yes um like mazda mazda has the flame a lot of people don't know this um that's what the m is for mazda it's actually a flame yeah the reason is because there was a persian no zoroastrian god named mazda ahura mazda and the the symbol of mazda was a fire right so literally took a different culture's um, religious symbol for their God and just applied it to the company and then just started selling cars. <laughs> yeah. And so this is the same exact principle through which people have been, I'll call it manipulated or indoctrinated. Like Kaysen said earlier, that might not always be a bad thing. And I don't think it's always a bad thing in brand. Well, it's unavoidable. If you think it's a bad thing, there, it, 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 it's just what do you call it? It's first principle. It's just the default state. This is these are the building blocks you have to work with. This yeah. is how people are. Yes, um, you do. If you're going to define that as bad inherently, you've just you've got a problem. So you're going to have to find a way to make good out of the building blocks that exist. Let, that's, that's more or less what I'm saying. Let me put it this way then: it's not the fact that humans revere symbols or use symbols as a way to represent their identities, that is bad. But what can be bad is the way that bad actors use those symbols to influence people. That, that is always, that is to- totally true. Yes. So that's more of what I'm getting at when I say these are used to indoctrinate or manipulate people, right? Oh, it's, safeguard your symbols, people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't let the bad actors, you know, the swastika was like a really important oh, religion. That's a great before. example. It's a great example of what I'm talking before about. Or it changed. And it's like, guard that symbol. It's a powerful symbol. It was a very powerful symbol. Yes. And basically, we've lost any use of it now because we allowed somebody, allowed um, a bad actor to use it to unify people to a, to a, a horrific cause. And now the symbol is forever ruined. Uh, but that was a powerful symbol of unification and religious worship before that. Yes, and so symbols are yeah. symbols are important. People pay a lot of money um, for artists and um, anthropologist type people to help to design their company logo. For yes. example, the apple in yeah. and for Macintosh, the apple. Yeah, that's yeah. the forbidden fruit. And that's yeah. what it is, and it's got a bite out of it because they're like, this is the knowledge. Like we, they're they're pretty open about what they're doing, um, but it's that it's that that's the symbolism that they're using for their products. Yes, so. Yes. This is just a fact about human nature and the way that we think, the way we identify identify ourselves with ideas, with 
ideologies. And, and again, the, the core reason for the individual is safety, a place to belong, a place to feel loved and understood, and a place to self-express. Those are like on the hierarchy of human needs. Those are not bad things. You need to have those things in your life to live a fulfilled life. And people find them in different places, right? So that's not bad. The thing that is becoming a problem is that when we feel like somebody is attacking those values through which we find value and fulfillment in our life, we feel the need to respond in ways that are probably not needed and that cause a lot of, of the destruction of our social glue on the larger town square level rather than in the small in-group level. And so we have to find and a that, way to adapt to these circumstances. Go ahead. I would put a little asterisk on that and say that they are not needed anymore. Yeah. For, for human survival, they evolved for a reason. <laughs> yes. Uh, but we we like to think of ourselves beyond that. I don't know if we really are beyond the a lot of that stuff. But we like to think that because in the last three generations, we've basically united the whole world, um, that now we can just be past that. Um, but I don't know what the future holds. And uh, I think they're getting interesting to where a united world is maybe seeming less likely than it was back in the 90s. And um, I just don't know where things go from here, I guess. That's actually such a great things point. Things can get bad again. Things can get very bad again. Yeah, that, that is such a great point. While the 1980s and 90s were by no means a perfect time or, or an era of like world peace or anything like that, I do really believe there was a sort of culmination. There was a point where there was a feeling in people's minds at the time that we might actually be progressing to a place where that could happen. We seemed to be, right. and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not discounting that there was still a lot of really bad stuff happening in the world. I'm strictly talking oh. about how a lot of people felt about where we were in comparison to especially going back just 40 years or, or, or 50 years previous to that, right? That there seemed to yeah. be this idea that we had made progress that gave a promise that we were going in the right direction. And that changed. They called it the end, the end of history is what they called it. Fukuyama called it that. And that like, changed. Like, it's over. We did it. Yeah, that changed so quickly. And yep. I remember in the past that we talked about, like, 9-11 being a hinge point like that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. certainly it was, particularly for our own country. I mean, it really set us back, I feel like, in so many ways in terms of our the way we handle foreign policy and our... our um... Well, and domestic policy. I remember that's what after that was when the Patriot Act was passed. Yes. And that is something that we will forever regret for the rest yes. of our country's existence. So certainly that was. But I'm, I'm what I'm starting to realize now is that it is this introduction. It, 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 this goes back to what we talked about in our Bioshock podcast, 
where yeah. there was an there was a small group that unified yeah. a, around an ideology. They all believed in the same yeah. thing, and they all went down together and built this thing that they thought would be a utopia around yeah. an ideology that they they all came together on. A small community should have worked, but that there it it was the arrogance of the leadership thinking that they had planned for every contingency there is, is always there is always something that you will not plan for that will come in and cause a huge disruption to the project of the community you're setting up and that you will have to adapt to be able to survive that will always happen no matter what and we talked about this in that podcast we believe the internet is one such unforeseen element that humanity was not really ready for and that we are now having to learn to adapt with and that we are not adapting to quickly enough right. um I'd say we're not adapting at all. <laughs> I don't think people have adapted at all to it. <laughs> and so this to me is possibly the most important issue, at least in, in my mind, um, that we're going to have to wrestle with and, and really try to find answers to during the course of our lifetimes. Those of our, our fellow humans who are here able to engage with me on this video during this particular time period uh we we have to wrestle with this we have to wrestle with how we respond to this because we are bred to think this way we have tools at our disposal that put us into contact with people who it feels like are threatening us all the time when they're not yeah. they're not and they just they're not threatening you it feels yeah. like they are it really feels like it. Trust me, I know exactly what you're feeling. I have those I have those instances myself where I'm browsing the internet and I see something someone says and I just get so annoyed and angry and I feel this need to respond to that person. I have those same feelings because I have the same DNA in me that has has programmed me to respond like that. I think the difference in maybe the last few years, and I was just talking about this with Kaysen last week, right? I, I, I felt like I had a sort of a breakthrough recently because I, I had, well, Dude McKay, one of our uh, patrons who, who engages with us all the time here on the, one of our beasts. I had him and, and continue to have him sort of sort through our comment sections because I could not control myself. I literally couldn't for a while. Where if I saw somebody say something like that, I felt the need to validate my position, clarify, tell this guy or girl or whoever was saying it why they're wrong. <laughs> it's in me too. I, I, we are all in the same boat as far as that goes. But I've been working really, really hard, especially in the last year or two to be aware of what that really is that's happening in there and to say, no, they're not threatening you. I know you feel threatened. I know you feel like you need to fight. 
You don't. <laughs> Step away. It's not important. And I feel like just in the last couple of weeks, I had a little bit of a breakthrough where I was looking through some comments and I saw something and I just kind of laughed at it instead of getting angry because I there laughed at it because it was wrong. I didn't get angry because it was wrong. Like I find mm. my brain, this part up here, the prefrontal cortex finally <laughs> broke through and convinced the amygdala <laughs> that you can laugh at that. It's okay. You're not, at, you're not threatened. Just laugh it off and walk away. You don't have to fight this person. You don't have to engage. You don't have to prove that they, they didn't understand what you really meant. <laughs> you don't have to do that. It's just a video game. And so I wanted to share that, not because I want to preach at people, but because I wanted to share an insight, a breakthrough of sorts that I feel like I've had recently. And I hope that that message can help some of you out there, no matter where you fall in terms of your feelings about the Final Fantasy VII Remake project and this particular game, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. No matter where you fall in your opinion on whether this is a, a disgrace to the original game and undermining all of its important themes and whether that's how you feel or whether you feel, no, this is a, a really groundbreaking, fresh take on this uh, set of characters and world that I loved growing up and I, I really like feeling excited about not knowing that some things might be different and and being able to theorize that with my particular in-group who we, that's why we appreciate this art that, that we gathered around. That this is the thing that we appreciated about it. No matter where you fall there, you don't have to get involved in the toxicity. You don't have to escalate it to a point where it does some real damage to real people. Um, I was pointed in the direction I wanted to share this with you, Case, and I, I didn't get it to you to read beforehand, unfortunately. I, I, I okay. wanted to, but I kind of forgot. And this was act, this actually happened several years ago. There, there was a, an article that was shared with me uh, by Night Sky Prince, because I was kind of asking him if he could point me in the direction of some examples of some of this fighting online that I could use in sort of building my case, which is this is the case I wanted to make, but I, I wanted to use some examples. Um, he got me to think a little bit differently about this. And he sent me this article that talked about the Final Fantasy VII house. It was like a legitimate cult of cosplayers and role players headed by this woman who just absolutely destroyed people's lives, abused them in really, really horrific ways to the point where certain people who were living in this situation they they believed being homeless. They they went and became homeless on purpose and thought it was an escape from something much, much worse. This is the level to which extreme fandom, right, can do real harm to people, real, terrible, abusive harm to people. This is happening. And you can choose not to engage in that. And that's more or less the one thing that I feel like I have any real passion to say about this current project. 
because there's just no need to stoke any fires there. I've said my piece on it. I don't feel like in doing so that I attacked anyone, but people felt attacked by me. And that really made me consider a lot of things about the internet that I engage with so much and how I go about talking and, and conversing with people on these enormous platforms and why they are such, I don't know, a beacon of this kind of toxicity or can be. Again, I don't want to paint them as being, because there's a lot of good that comes from it. There are all kinds of people who I've met that I never would otherwise because of these platforms and because I was able right. to express myself on this platform and, and that people found me through that self-expression. All of that I would not do away with in order to potentially solve this problem I'm talking about. But I do think it's important that people be aware of what's really happening inside and that they respond in the appropriate way rather than letting that take over. Um, that's it. That's basically what I wanted to say about this. And I'll pass it to you to, to say your piece. The only real big thing I want to say is I want to shout out Mick Discord because he shared a link to Robert Pattinson discussing Final Fantasy VII. Ah, uh, yes. And specifically, specifically talking about the dating scene between Tifa and Aerith yep. and how one of the reasons he loved Final Fantasy VII was because there were these two great girls you get to choose between. <laughs> yep. I remember oh, I that. thought that was hilarious. It I was like a that. merger of the Twilight thing and the whole F7 thing, just like all in one. It's beautiful. We should totally uh, put it up on the screen briefly. No, no, totally. Because the he, he was talking with one of his fellow actors for some movie that they were promoting at the time and trying to convince her why yeah. this game was so great. And what she heard was basically uh -huh. this misogynistic point of view behind why, and she like rejected that, right? Because again, oh. this is what I'm talking about with being introduced <laughs> to people who are diametrically opposed to your ideologies and seeing through a lens right. that is not accurate about what was really special about that thing. He just expressed it in a way that was that happened to prick at her bubble. <laughs> And so she dismissed it kind of right off the bat for that reason, right? This is, this is, this gets right at the core of what I'm talking about. And, and that would not have been the way I would have pitched why that game was amazing. And maybe if I had talked about the fact that this game got me to think about putting gasoline in my car for the first time in my life, maybe she would have had a different opinion about whether that game might be worth looking at. You see what I'm saying? Everybody has a different reason for why they valued it. And from their perspective, from their culture that shaped the way that they think, that's a good thing, actually. And they would feel the need to fight her to defend why the dating simulation aspect is not misogynistic. No, no, you're wrong. And they would put her into the box of this woke uh, <laughs> whatever and, and start, you know, seeing her in that light, and that's what we shouldn't do. That's what we gotta fight against that impulse. In this current climate, this current world, which is racing towards a place where you're gonna come across that at a greater and greater frequency every freaking day, how are you gonna respond to that? Are you going to 
escalate it and stoke the fires and cause the gap to become greater between your fellow humans? Or are you cognizant enough to be aware of what's really happening and try to bridge those gaps and quell those fires and calm people down and express yourself better and help people see the common ground that they have rather than the reasons why we're so different that we can't coexist. Does that make sense? Okay, I think that's perfect. I think that was a very good way to put it and to kind of wrap it up. I didn't realize there was a whole big thing about that interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I just thought it was funny. It, it is funny. Uh, but I can see some people being deeply offended by the way she responded to him. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, and the reasons why he valued the game. He didn't. He, you know, he kind of laughed it off. But some people might feel really offended by that. And, and what I'm saying is that offense is not your choice. That, that feeling you have of offense, that just happens. Right, to you. yeah. We kind of talked about this uh, in recent podcasts too. I, I, my sort of like when, when we got through Final Fantasy 16, I started to kind of feel like I wasn't really jiving with it. It wasn't my choice that I had the feeling that I had in response to what I was seeing and playing. That just happened. I didn't choose to feel that way. It just, the feeling arose inside of me. And what we do is something called post hoc reasoning, where we go back and try to rationalize why I felt that way. And none of that reasoning is the actual reason why it happened. It just happened. You didn't choose it. It just emerged in you. And it was part of, one, your, your, your genetics, but two, the culture you grew up in, and a thousand other factors that that formed you into the person that you are and that emerged inside of you. And now you have to, you feel this need to justify or reasonably explain yourself and validate it. And that's most of the time, not necessary. You can just say, I like the final fantasy seven remake project. And even though you don't, I don't have to explain to you why I don't have to justify it. I do. And if you don't, you don't have to justify it or argue it or explain it to me. I can shake your hand and say, that's cool, man. Too bad you didn't like it. That's $70. I wish I could give back to you. <laughs> but I liked it. I'm going to play the next one, the end. And that can be the end of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right, that should be the beginning of this video, was you saying, I like I like the Final Fantasy VII remake. <laughs> that would be really be the funny. Lead. We'll find some way to, to make a, a, a clickbait hook <laughs> into this uh, to get people to watch it. But anyway, that's that's what I felt inspired to say uh, about this game now that it's coming out. And it, it'll be the end of anything I have to say about it. I will not be playing the game. I will not be discussing it. I will not be participating in any way. I don't know, man. You might have to answer some of my questions. I might. Uh, oh, I'll talk about it with you. My, I just I want to talk bring about you it. on along briefly. <laughs> I, I, that would be something I'd be willing to do is watch you play this for the first time. But what I'm not going to do is contribute to or, or even create a place from which that can begin happening in my comment section is what I'm getting at. Oh, gotcha. Like, like uh, I, I don't even, I, I don't, I want to be a person who actively tries bridging those gaps, quelling those fires and calming that down rather than creating a place for it to 
find new life and spread even more. So that's all I'm going to say about Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Anything you'd like to add before we conclude? Uh, no, actually, I think I'm good. All right. Thanks Sorry, for watching, guys, everybody. I felt a little sick today. I'm not, my voice isn't doing great. Yeah, that's why Kason's remote, why he's not here in the studio with me today. Um, but <laughs> next week, we will start Planescape Torment. We will have Max Derrett on as a guest for all of the episodes of that series. Um, <laughs> just to give you a, a taste of kind of like my feelings right now, um, I have never been much of, of a fan of this particular subgenre of RPG. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, and, and I'll talk about the reasons why next week when we get started, but this, this particular type of like obsidian obsidians, like the company that would make games like this made sort of isometric text heavy CRPG that had, has very little in the way of presentational flair very little animation. Yeah. <laughs> I have never been a, a strong fan of this type of game in the past. And then I, I felt the same way as I was doing my playthrough for this new podcast, although I was enjoying very much a lot of the philosophy and there's a lot of talking oh, yeah. points there that I was very excited to talk about, but something clicked. I don't know why or how something really clicked in the last play session that I had where I was like, oh, I'm actually having a lot of fun playing this game. This is crazy. I think I finally get this genre. <laughs> so I'm, I am so stoked to begin this next podcast series on Planescape Torment. This is becoming rapidly one of my favorite games of all time. So look forward to that. We appreciate all of you. Um, we should probably try to put this, if not at the beginning when we edit this, um, in the pinned comment, at least, so people can see it. There is a vote happening right now on our Patreon for the game that we will play after Planescape Torment. That vote will only be live of, of the time of the upload of this video for like one more day, maybe two, because we will need to start playing the next game this weekend. <laughs> Uh, and preparing for it because we're done with Planescape now. We're moving on to the next thing so that we can be ready for the next series. So um, we are we are doing a vote between Xenosaga 2 and 3 back to back. So that's option one, finishing the Xenosaga series. Or Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3. Those are the two options up on patreon if you if you would like to vote please head to our patreon and at the five dollar subscription level you can um you get like voting privileges in in terms of deciding what we play so please go there um if you'd like to contribute to that if you really want it because there's there's been people adding me on twitter x lately that uh, they, they felt we had abandoned xenosaga and i was trying to explain no we we don't choose well we choose what goes in the vote but we don't choose if people vote what they vote for <laughs> so but that's there now so if you want to see us finish Xenosaga now's the chance to make sure that that happens anyways we appreciate you everybody seriously thank you for um for watching for supporting um, giving us a, a place where we can come and and have these types of conversations I I know uh, 
I, I won't speak for Kaysen, but I know that for me, this is some of the most enriching sort of parts of my life right now are these conversations that he and I have together. I look forward to these every week. I feel like I've, I've changed massively as a person based on the insight that we've found, not just from the games we're playing and the philosophies they explore, but from him and, and the contributions he makes to those conversations. And the fact that you guys support that and watch it and make it possible for us to do this in the midst of our very busy lives and schedules and full-time jobs and families is, I, I don't know if I can express how much I appreciate that. So thank you. And um, we'll see you again next week.